0: This is Scott Rosenbaum, executive producer and showrunner of Z on ABC, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web, and by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. This is Gray. And I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, for Monday, January 3rd, 2011. And we are hitting the ground running with an interview with executive producer and showrunner of V on ABC, Scott Rosenbaum. He actually was with me uh, earlier when he had already left Chuck to go on to be executive producer of V. And I was lucky enough to catch him in an interview where he spoke about the writing process of of season one of V. And this interview had aired just before V started to air the first um, block of his episode, so episode five and onward. And so uh, because that was involved in V and his experience in coming in as a showrunner, I thought it would be great to include that in this uh, podcast. And so there's actually two interviews with Scott. There's one uh when he was just starting on on V and then one um, just as season two is about to air. And hopefully it'll give a great perspective of um, of his whole experience in, in running that show. It's going to be a pretty long episode, and so I'm not going to talk a whole lot here. We're going to go right into that first interview. But uh, let me just say that you've got to watch for the TV Writer Podcast in the next few weeks because there's a lot of great interviews coming, including a lot of interviews with women TV writers. That's going to be our next section for the next few weeks, talking to a number of women TV writers. And so hopefully that gives you another perspective on TV writing. So we're going to go right in. I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. Go to tvwriterpodcast.com to check out the TV writer Twitter database and other um, fun stuff. And uh, so thanks for watching. And definitely check out Script Magazine at scriptmag.com. There's lots of stuff always there. And uh, let's get right to it. welcome the new showrunner for V, and also executive producer and writer extraordinaire, Scott Rosenbaum. How are you doing, Scott?
0: Good, thank you. I appreciate the introduction.
2: That's very nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I know you're incredibly busy, so we'll get right to it. Um, And I noticed you actually tweeted that you watched our podcast recently. What, What did you think of it? I loved
0: it. I did. You know, I would always, um, you know, when I was on Chuck for, been, I was on Chuck for, you know, for three seasons, and I would, uh, and when you guys started doing those podcasts, you know, whenever I had a moment, I would just check in, and it was fun to just hear, you know, fan reaction, and and you know, and, and I, so I would pop in, and so, I, I did the the Chuck versus the Beard because I had known it, uh it was my last episode, so I thought, you know, what I'll, I'll, I'll watch the podcast for that one for sure, and uh, and it was nice to hear you, you guys give a shout out to me.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, uh, of course, Chuck fans know you because you've been around since, uh, I guess, pretty much the beginning, right? Yes,
0: since season one. Yep, yeah.
1: and uh, we're responsible for some of our favorite episodes: Chuck versus the sizzling shrimp, uh, Chuck versus Santa Claus, and definitely Chuck versus the beard. We're all real fan favorites, and and you wrote many, many other episodes. Um, and we'll get to talking about Chuck versus the beard, but but first, I want to hear more about V. Uh, I'm you. You don't see me. I'm actually recording this video myself, but I'm holding up. Um I have the whole boxed set or three box sets of the original series. I'm a big V fan myself and uh I, I was really excited when I heard that you were going to be moving over to V because uh I, I definitely think that uh, you'll bring a lot to the table. Um but uh, when when actually uh, to take it back a little bit, when did you hear that you were going to be moving to V?
0: Um I heard that I was actually going to be moving um onto V. It was during actually of all of episodes it was while we were shooting Chuck versus the Beard, <laughs> um, and you know I was on set with Zach throughout that um, entire that while that thing was being shot. And at one point I I, I can I got like the phone a phone call when we were, I was on set that you know the studio wanted to see me. So I was like uh oh I'm in trouble. You know I didn't know. You know was, was I being you know what was I doing wrong here? And uh, and then they and they asked me and you know they said look you know we love this show we think it's a great show and we're happy with the sh- with the show but you know, we want, you know, we want to put another brain on it. And, um, and they asked me if it was something that I'd want to do. And I was like, I was absolutely just, you know, it was very hard actually to leave Chuck. I will say that. I mean, I I love that show. And and Mm -hmm. I hope that it runs for another, you know, five, six seasons and Mm -hmm. an amazing, amazing, uh, you know, time that I had on the show. And when they came to me, I actually really was conflicted, but I sat down and I watched, you know, the, the shows, I took it, you know, very seriously. It's obviously a big, you know, um, it, it's a huge task and a big, you an honor that they asked me to do it. And, but I, I sat down and I watched the shows and, you know, I, I really felt, you know, A, I'd love the original one, the original V and just seeing the show and seeing the scope and seeing everything that had been done before, I really got just excited creatively. And um, even though it was a hard choice to leave a show I love so much, um, you know, ultimately I figured, you know, I'd been on Chuck for three years and um, you know, maybe it's made, you know the show's in good in great hands, and this this is a new adventure and an exciting
1: adventure. So I agreed to come along. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned liking the original series um, because that was going to be one of my questions. Um, I know that this this new series, it's as it should be. It's it's a it's a reimagining of the concept because you can't take the the cultural bias of the '80s and then move a story in its entirety into the, into our current time it just just doesn't work Um, and uh, and so but how has the original series informed the process of of approaching the new one
0: you know it's interesting because I've tried to keep as many elements as possible because I I love the original and and when you look at it the storytelling of the original was 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 fantastic I mean the one thing that when you when you watch it and you just brought this up the one thing that you see when you watch the original now is, is that stands out is really just the the fact that it took place in the 80s and how you know it was a show that was very reflective of what was happening back then. Not just like culturally, but you know so- sociologically, also psychologically. The show reflected, I think, how a lot of people felt. Uh, you know psychologically, we were sort of you know cold warish. You know with the with the with the Russians and not cold warish, but we were starting starting to get a little you know weird again with with, with Russia. And I think. Mm-hmm. What I, the, 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 but at the same time, when you look at that show, the stories were, were really intriguing. They were really cool. The characters were really cool. So I think that you know, it, made, it made sense not to throw the baby out in the bathwater, but just you know you take everything that they've done. I mean, obviously, it needs to be original and different, but sort of just update it for, uh, to the present day. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you know, we have just visually effectualized, technologically, as filmmakers, we have so many more tools to use. So it was how do we take those incredible cool moments that they did back then and update them again for, you know, the year 2010.
2: Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: you know, but at the same time, I also think it's very important that the show be different. So I I would say that in a lot of instances, when you see, when you'll be seeing things that are, that'll be paying homage to the Mm -hmm. original, it won't be the same beat. It won't be the same story element, but you'll, Watch the show, and you'll say he just—they were paying homage to the original show. And hopefully, and this is my 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 sincere hope, is that you are obviously like surprised and wowed, and oh, I didn't see that coming. But at the same time, you know that oh, there's a wink, wink to something they
1: did in the original show. Mm-hmm. Well, so so far this it's been amazing. Uh, it and just stunning visuals, and yet I've really appreciated how um, it hasn't just been a whole bunch of effects like I, I appreciate the fact that I mean we see incredible visuals like of Marina background over the, the the spaceships and it's just daunting and you really get a sense of 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 the the ominous presence and then you get to the people stories and and that's what draws us in
0: yeah I mean ultimately it's in television It, it it's it's it is about it's about the characters and it's the people stories and that's And that's why you come back, um, you know, week by week because you care or are intrigued to see what's going to happen to the people. Um, And what's fun about about V is you don't just, you know, you don't just have the fun of the people, but you also get the the Vs, you know, Mm -hmm. and and tracking them. And it's, uh, you know, and and again, and, you know, I think that, I think any television writer will tell you that the most important thing is, how do you engage the audience with the characters um, and make them feel like they absolutely have to come back the next week to see what happens? And, and that's always sort of where you start. And as you said, you know the visual effects are amazing, and they're there to complement and you know
1: complement the storytelling, um, help help the storytelling, but not overpower the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you've got an incredible cast to work with. I that's mean, yeah. Elizabeth Mitchell was one of my favorite actors from Lost. Joel Gretsch from, uh, I mean, just... Was great on the 4400. Marina Bacharin. I mean, Scott Wolf. Like <laughs> you, you've got a, a great team to work with. Um, what, what has it been like working with these people that you hadn't worked with before?
0: You know, it's been it's been amazing. And like you said, it's the amount of talent that we have on that. You know, and with the actors is just it's amazing. And, and what's and and what's really be, the the battle becomes is. Servicing all of them because they're all so good, and you mm-hmm. want you want to see them on the screen all the time, and and it becomes about, you know, you just wish you could, the shows could be two hours long so that you <laughs> could have you know have everyone have a huge huge story, and so the the trick has been, because really what works best it works well when they're all together, um, or certainly when their stories are affecting each other. So because of such a talented cast, and because they because they're they all sort of just they just shine when they're, on, when, they're on, when they're on camera, I've tried to, in the storytelling, tell stories and figure out st- the way to tell stories so that they can all sort of, you know, be bouncing off of each other in some way, shape, or form so that, you know, so it's not a Chad story, for instance, mm-hmm. um, not entirely 100% disconnected, say, from an, you know, from an, an Erica, or like an Elizabeth story or mm-hmm. the Fifth Column story. Um, and vice versa, how do we keep you know our resistance fighters, uh, Morris and Elizabeth and Joel, how do we keep them connected to the Anna story, the visitor story too? Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that spent a lot of time on before we started up again and, plan- and mapping out um, uh, the n- remaining you know ten episode, or eight episodes that will air to have to be able to. Keep all these characters sort of in the same box, you know, in the same sandbox for as, mu- as much as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. And so now you've you've had a lot of experience on on the Shield with these really, I mean, lots of action, but really dramatic situations. Then you've got uh, action and drama and intrigue from Chuck, but there's there's another part of your skill set which is comedy and, and lightness. Um, if, if I had any critique of the first four episodes, and I, I love the first four episodes of V that aired, was that it, it was maybe missing a bit of that lightness between the characters. Are you bringing any of that in? Yes, I
0: absolutely am. Uh, one of the first things I did was, because I didn't want to entirely shift who the ensemble was based mm-hmm. on the first four, and suddenly if one person is the you know cracking jokes, um, I introduced a character who is probably the least likely person that you would think would give you, uh, you know, comedic relief mm-hmm. based on who he is. But he's a guy who sort of does come in now, and, and, you, and because of this one character and because of his sort of point of view on the world and, and, the, and the idea that there are visitors you know, that look like lizards underneath,
2: mm-hmm. he
0: sort of is a character that I think has allowed us to infuse humor back into the show, or at least try to accentuate it because at least it comes organically from him, mm-hmm. and it allows the other characters to, I, you know, it's again, it'll never be laugh out loud, you know, Chuck Chuck type yeah. comedy, yeah. but there will there there definitely will be laughs and there's definitely you know a a a, a sense of a gall a gallows humor that mm. I think um has been infused, which is has really been helpful and you know it's um he's and he's a real he's a real fun character and a really he's a really interesting character and i think everyone's going to be uh really enjoy watching him
1: oh i i i can't wait that's that sounds great yeah um and you know even in any war film you've always got that that gallows humor that that element of humor that people use to uh to diffuse highly emotional situations um so uh, i think that that'll be great now we we do have to to move on to chuck soon but uh my last question about v is is what is the, the, the thing that has you most excited about what's to come in the next eight episodes? Um,
0: I think what's most exciting for me is, the, wh- is what these episodes are building to is that, that I think that we've I really, and the writers and along with myself <clears throat> and, and certainly the actors, we found, I think, um, ways to really tap in emotionally to who they are and the situation that they're in and you'll see, I think, that as these episodes start to, to play, you're going to really, really start to care about them a lot and you're going to understand their, when they're in pain, you're going to understand their pain. When they want something and they can't get it, I think you're going to yearn for them to get what they want. And that element of it <laughs> is something that I think is, is very sa- satisfying. And then the other thing that I'm very excited for is for people, and I can't give away spoilers, but one of the things that I really wanted to continue to do and add into was have those Oh My God moments, those, as we remember from the original, you know, probably the two most recognizable ones just off the top of my head would have been obviously when Jane Badler um, eats her first rodent, <laughs> but also when, you know, when Mark Singer has to fight with the, with the V and we sort of for the first time see what the V looks like underneath yeah. human skin, um, and one of the things that I really enjoy, and just as a story storyteller and and sort of a horror action sci-fi fan, are those great "Wow, oh my God, did that just happen?" moments. And I've tried to pepper as many as I possibly could in every single episode. And I think you'll you'll certainly um, actually you watch the first episode, know exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Uh huh. Well, that's that's great. I I urge Chuck fans, and the reason I wanted to. Um, have you on the podcast was I? I do feel that Chuck fans, um, are going to get a lot out of V, and I I think that um, it's not an accident that, uh, that the studio would would tap your, um, uh, ha- tap you to come and 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 work on the show because I I think that that there is a transportable skill set there that uh, I really really look forward to seeing. So m- it's on Tuesdays starting this Tuesday, March 30th at 10 p.m. 10:02 p.m. I guess this uh, this Tuesday. Um yeah. and it and that's the time slot for the next eight episodes.
0: That's correct. It'll, yeah, so it'll be it'll be airing right after Lost.
1: Perfect. Well, I uh, can't wait can't wait can't wait to see it. But uh, on to Chuck versus the beard. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um as we mentioned on on the podcast, most fans are c- considering this one of their top 5 episodes for the entire series and it had everything. Great comedy, drama, action, and Morgan finding out Chuck's secret. And actually, I really appreciate you um, bringing up that you didn't even find out yet that you're going on to V until after this had started shooting because a lot of people have, had, had said that uh, when you heard you were going on V, you put everything into this episode. And uh, I, <laughs> I think it's, it's to your credit that, that this great episode came before you heard uh, about that transition. But how did you approach the balance between, you had so many elements in that episode uh, how did you approach the balance between everything that was going on?
0: Well, you know, what's also sort of interesting about that episode, too, is one of the things I was sort of tasked with, and this is sort of something that sometimes uh, fans aren't completely aware of, but when you do a sh- 22 episodes of a show, um, inevitably, one of the things that you need to do just to make it pr- uh, producible is you need to have what we call bottle episodes. And what bot- by that, what that means is, and usually you have about two per season, and actually every, almost every TV show, every TV show does do this in some way, shape, or form.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The idea behind it is that you have to use your home sets as much as humanly possible, and you also, um, which means you can't be out and about as much. So if a normal episode, say had three days of shooting on location, you may only be able to shoot one day on location, mm-hmm. or one and a half days, and you have to then have the episode take place mostly on, in your set. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: one of the challenges already right off the top was when was, okay, this is going to be a bottle episode. And how do you make a bottle episode? How do you have audiences not miss the fact that the team's out running, you know, ju- jumping off of a building? You know, all those mm-hmm. sort of fun, amazing stunts that, some, that, that our people do on the show. So from immediately, the first thing you sort of approach it is, okay, well, for this, then, then what's going to replace that just needs to be a really strong uh, emotional story for the characters. And, um, and, and also, you know, that also means the, 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 the big moments, the oh-my-god moments need to be not effects driven not action-driven, but story and character-driven.
2: So mm-hmm.
0: this sort of episode, being that it was a bottle episode, it made sense, you know okay, well, what are, what, what, are we, what are the tools that, that we have to tell the story? Um, and it just felt, that, you know, what, what are the most powerful dynamics? We've been doing a lot of Chuck Sarah stuff. It felt like, let's dive into, you know, the, we always sort of joke about, like, the bromance between Morgan and Chuck, and this seemed like the perfect opportunity to make it a, a heavy um, a la Chuck versus the best friend chuck morgan story so that's kind of once that you know and and then and obviously we we before we start the season we all are in the writers room and we we map out um you know what the what the season's going to look like so i i i knew you know we'd sort of make we, we always knew we wanted morgan to find out we weren't quite sure when
2: mm-hmm.
0: that was the only thing we weren't quite sure of and or how it was going to happen but we as we were sort of getting i think we were probably around like episode six um and we knew it was going to be we didn't know if it would be episode 15 16 it, it, it felt like now's the time to sort of turn the show a little slightly earlier than we first thought we would in a, in a little bit of a new direction and um and then and that was this and then the decision was made okay well we'll have this episode be the one where morgan finds out mm-hmm. and then and then from there it's, and then it was just about, okay, well, how do we want to tell that story? And we and just dove into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love how Morgan found out. And the role reversal when he thought he was the only one who knew and was telling Chuck about it was just brilliant, I thought. I mean, especially the Don't Freak Out line uh, was, was classic. Um, how, how did you guys come up with that?
0: Well, I mean, it was one of those things where you knew that when, you know, Morgan, it was, that that line has become such an iconic line. Mm. Um, I, I just, I just, it just made, it was one of those things where it just made absolute sense that he would say that at that moment. <laughs> um, and, you know, what was really, ama- really fun about that episode too, which is something that, and I know you guys t- spoke up, about this a lot, but was it was really nice to do an episode where we could, you could sort of really get to see Morgan and get to know Morgan better. Mm. I mean, you know, he's such a, um, you know it, 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 again, as I was saying before, like in v it's it's such it's a huge ensemble, the cast, and mm-hmm. we have so many actors and so many characters that we need to touch base on. There always seems that as hard as you try not to, some people seem to get a little less screen time uh, than than you always hope and I think Morgan would get a lot of screen time, but it became a situation where we felt like here's an actor who's a really great actor, and how do we get the most out of him and it and and it seemed that you know. As, much as, as soon as he could be involved in Chuck's life in a more direct manner, A, there'd be more storytelling, but B, it would allow us a window into Morgan and get to know the character even better. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was really, I think, liberating for all of us in many ways to have Morgan finally get to know because it, opened just, it just opened up all these, all these storytelling possibilities that we hadn't really been able to do because he didn't know. Um, so I think that you'll see, as the rest of the season plays, you'll see all of these sort of really, um, you know, I think stuff that will will be very make people very happy and really en- and continue to enjoy the show because Morgan's now suddenly in the mix uh, for good or bad.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I, I think it's going to be good. Great opportunity it's, for a no, comedy. No, it's going to be
0: it's going to be really good. And um, but when I say bad, it's you know because it's you know who knows, right? You never yes. know what kind of trouble he can get Chuck into if he's not yeah. too careful.
1: Yeah. Well, I just have uh, one more question for you, and that's what it was like to work with Zachary Levi as a director on that episode.
0: You know what? It was, it was, really, it was a great experience. Um, you know, it was the first time he had directed uh, a, a television show. Um, and he, you know, anytime you're working with a first-time director, you know, you know the, 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 the system is set up for, hopefully, for all directors on, on the show to succeed. The, the writer's heavily involved. Um, the director-producer, Robbie, thank right is very involved. And, and the crew are just so good at what they do Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have a great support cast. And then the, and the question is, you know, but you're always still nervous. And I have to say that from day one, um, as Zach and I were talking about the script and going through it and I was explaining things and he was talking about, you know, okay, I might want to shoot it this way or do it this way. I knew honestly from the moment we started talking that he would do a good job because he was, he was, you know, I didn't even, it didn't, I wasn't even, and, and truthfully, the camera is, is the least, in many ways, is the least important element in some senses, because what's most important is that the actor or the director understands the tone, the pacing, the rhythm,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: who the characters are, how they're going to act, and Zach just, he just got it, you know, he it was, he got it in the way that you would, you know, hope, you know, a, like the way the writers would, would, would get the show. He just was really in there and totally understood everything, and he had great ideas. He, you know, as we went through the script, he would, you know, he would say, hey, what if we did this instead or we shoot it this way? And you know, most, almost every one of his ideas um, I actually incorporated into the, into the script and, and thought worked well. And he, he was great. And he just was, he knew when to ask questions. He, he was very smart about when he didn't quite understand something, he would turn to Robbie and say, I want it to look like this, but I don't know exactly what kind of lens to use. But he knew what he wanted, which mm-hmm. is the most important thing. And then, and then, and then, you know, Robbie, who who was just wonderful during this process, would just say, "All right, we're going to use this kind of lens, and, and and you'll do it on, you'll do a dolly shot, and you'll get exactly what you want." And you know, and, and then, and then it was amazing though, because by like day three, Zach just like knew what he needed to do. You know, he had he just was like, you know, he just was, he's a really smart guy, and he just picked everything up so quickly, and he just was. We were there, sort of, you know, help, helping him in the beginning. But by like day three, I was like, "All right, I don't, I'm not needed here anymore. This kid, you know, this kid knows what he's doing." And uh, and I think everyone really felt that way. And that was, you know, it was not a struggle. Which you know, he just he was a natural at it. And and it was and it was a pleasure, also, truthfully, working with the director who understood the show so much. Because when that happens you know, you sometimes when directors come in, they don't quite understand the characters and you might, they might start in a place where you don't want to be. And then you have to say, whoa, 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 this isn't, you know, where I want to start. And maybe, you know, or this is totally off. And so you, you, you spent like two takes on something that just going to get thrown out. And mm-hmm. where it was back, it was like to take one, you were right on the money. And that's, I think, also why I think you saw some of those performances were as good as they were was because, Zach knew where the scene needed to begin. And, and, take, and starting from take one, it wasn't about finding the scene as much. It was about just making the scene better and building the performance uh, from take one rather than take four. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And I think that was one of the reasons why, in my opinion... The performances in the show were so good was because it allowed the the actors to get understand exactly where they were starting from and then it was just take two three four and five was just building building upon the performance and, and fleshing it
1: out. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know he's got an incredibly busy schedule, but uh, I do hope he can do it again sometime.
0: <laughs> I will, and and I miss Chuck so much, and everybody's got to keep watching it because I know it's half what happens just. Cause I was still there before and it's yeah. going to be such, it's such a good show and it's such an awesome ending. And the, ne- the next bunch of batch of episodes are fantastic. So you guys should be very excited. To yeah. See them.
1: Well, we'll miss you on Chuck, but uh, it's good to know that we have a great show that we can follow you on. And I will certainly be watching Tuesdays at 10 PM on ABC.
0: Great. Thank you guys so much for all your support. Really
1: appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I so much appreciate you taking the time again and, uh, Best of luck to you, and I really hope V does really, really well.
0: Cool, great. Well, let's talk. I want we'll talk after the premiere. I want to hear your reaction, <laughs> especially when you see the last, the last scene.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Okay. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. And so that was my first interview with executive producer and showrunner of V on ABC, Scott Rosenbaum. And this next interview is just before season two airs. Just taped with him over the break, the holiday break, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Well, I have the privilege of talking again with Scott Rosenbaum, executive producer and showrunner of one of my favorite shows, V on ABC. And uh, this is just as we're about to enter the second season. How are you doing, Scott?
0: I'm doing great, Gray. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So uh, so just to orient you, because... Um, Uh, I'm not sure if you remember everything that we talked about in our last interview, but we talked last when the first season of V, or rather not the first season, but your episodes were just about to air. So um, in in the previous interview, we covered everything about how you uh, got started, how you moved on to to Chuck, and then um, how you moved on to V. So we'll assume everybody has seen that and just roll right on in to sort of after that point. So... What do you think about season one, and particularly um, after you took over and uh, and then saw those episodes play out? Um, what what was your experience in season one?
0: Well, season one, and and you and I, for the audience, we were we spoke a little bit um, before. One of the things I think with season one was coming into the show as the new showrunner and sort of taking over the reins. There was a lot of things that I thought worked really well about the show, but there was a lot of things about the show that were in terms of the way the stories were being told um, and, and the tone and style and pace were a lot different um, than I sort of wanted the show to be. And one of the things that would have been awkward would to be to just sort of immediately jump in and completely change a show it can be a little sort of abrupt and disconcerting. So what I tried to do is slowly smooth my way through to get it where I wanted to be. And although I'm very proud of all the things that we did in season one, I, I sort of the show became closer to the vision I had for the show really in the last uh, two to three episodes. You know, one of the things that was very important for me that I wanted to do because it w- I always believed that the show was this at the core of what the show was and at a, on a very personal level. It was a war. It was a battle between two mothers and it was mm-hmm. Anna on one end and it was Erica on the other end. And Anna is sort of the mother of all visitors and Erica is the mother of all humans. And it was sort of this battle between them to sort of save their children. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was sort of a little hamstrung for me is, you know, the, the network uh, didn't want Anna and Erica to meet too early. That was something that, that I had sort of disagreed with and thought wow. was absolutely essential that they meet early. Yeah. But um, again, I was sort of the new showrunner, in. I think it was something that they were afraid of. Um, but ultimately... I, you know, kept pushing, 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 and, and, and we finally got them to meet. And I think as, as, you know, for those who have watched the show, I think for the most, I can speak pretty clearly. I think most people probably get, you know, once those two started getting closer to meeting each other and actually met each other, the, the storytelling just became much richer and more dynamic. And, uh, and then, you know, and so by the end of the, but the, by the time I started season two, they had met, there had been some conflict. Obviously, Erica destroyed her soldier eggs, and at that point, I felt um, that the show was finally sort of on the right track in terms of the character dynamics and the storytelling style that that I wanted uh, to move forward with in the future.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I I love it. And and just so the audience knows, and I really appreciate you uh, doing that, um, Scott sent me the screeners for episode uh, one through three of the second season, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but the mother dynamic just explodes (laughs) i (laughs) I love it i love it um and so so you you got through um season one and particularly got your your hero and your villain finally meeting each other um and so what was involved in brainstorming and planning season two um how how much time did you guys have for that
2: well
0: it was interesting because i didn't have that much time what happened was because of the, the hiatuses, the show did four, then it went off the air. By the time I took over, and then by the time I had wrapped at the last episode of season one, we were right near May and getting very close to the time when shows need to, when the networks need to figure out what shows they were going to pick up. Um, mm-hmm. My staff um, had wrapped after the ninth episode for ten, and, uh, after the midway through the tenth episode. So, you know, I got a draft um, of ten. Um, and then I sort of took 10 and 11, uh, from that point on. And then next, by the time 11 was finished, a, you know, Warner Brothers came to me and said, okay, here's the deal. We're a bubble show. Flash forwards, a bubble show. There's a couple other bubble shows. You need to, you've got about a week or two weeks to figure out what season two is and knock the socks off of ABC because that will basically you're going, you're going in to pitch what season two is going to be. And I, and, and, and I was like, okay, you know, whatever I got to do, I'll do. And I just, yeah. like, you know, looked myself in the mirror and was like, all right, well, it's, I'm going to go in and I'm going to come up with what I think is the most interesting version of season two so that they pick us over all the other shows. Mm-hmm. And I locked myself in my office for about a week and a half, wow. um, came up with what I thought season two was going to be. I pitched it to Warner Brothers. Um, the executives at Warner Brothers were sort of, at that point, were kind of like my writing staff because I didn't have a writing staff. And they, um, you know, I bounced stuff off of them and they gave me some they told me what they liked, what they thought I could work on. And, and, the, and from that point that, they were my sort of sounding board. And then I took sort of their notes and thoughts, came up with the full pitch, went in and pitched it to ABC. and, and frankly, almost everything I pitched them in, that I had come up with made it into the show. In fact, almost everything did. Um, in season two. And luckily, I think, you know, I, the, the vividness and the detail of the pitch is, I think, what got the show picked up for a second season over some of, you know, some of the other bubble shows, um, Wow. you know, and, you know, this is something that's interesting is this is something that I'd had to do before because being on Chuck, you know, for, for all the, for the first three seasons, we were always a bubble show. And at the end of each season, Josh and Chris would grab us and be like, okay, guys, like we're a bubble show. We need to go in we could wait until next season to pitch, but let's let's go knock their socks off. And we would, what we would do is we would c- figure out the next season before the previous season mm-hmm. um, as much as we could so that when we went into NBC and they heard what the next season was going to be like, cr- at least creatively, they'd be very excited because we always knew that it was, on uh, ratings-wise, the show was on the fence. Mm-hmm. We knew the one thing that we had going for us was that, on Chuck at least, was that we could have a, a strong, you know, if we had a good, strong creative vision, they would at least be happy with that. And so, you know, using sort of that experience I had from Chuck, um, and coming up with the next season pitch, I just sort of applied that on V and went in guns blazing. And so mm-hmm. what, then what happened was, and I can sort of expand on the question is then I hired a, a writing staff. Um, there was, I made a lot of changes in between seasons. And when my writing staff came in, like sort of on day one, I sent them, it was like 14 pages. Is what uh-huh. it was, And I sent that document to all the writers before they came in for the first day and said, this is what I came up with for season two. It doesn't have to be written in stone. Assume nothing's written in stone. I knew in my mind that there were certain things that I was going to do no matter what, mm-hmm. but I wanted the writers to have something to re work off of and, and, and tweak. Yeah. And then the writers came in and we spent about two, three weeks going over what I had, um, tweaking, changing, and then putting, you know, coming up with some of like sort of the str- outlines for basically the first six episodes. And then mm-hmm. that's, that, and then and then we sort of sent those into the network, and then once the network approved those, then we got into sort of the day to day breaking of 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 the episodes
2: mm-hmm.
1: well that's a that's a fascinating look behind the curtain because I know from um, from the perspective of most fans, I mean particularly with our our experience on Chuck, there was the attitude that if we rally enough and if we prove to the network that the fans are there, then they'll renew the show and yet, if they're not excited about the creative vision of it, it doesn't really matter what the fans would do. If if I'm reading you correctly.
0: Well, yes and no. I will say this. I think actually it's. Let me go back. I think more the most important thing to the networks is that people are going to watch the show. Mm-hmm. If they if you had if the networks had to choose, and this is an economic thing too, and I, I don't I'm not saying that. The network executives are happy about this. But the bottom line is, in television, is mm-hmm. is is the is actually quite the opposite. You could have the worst rated show, I mean, worst reviewed show in the world. It could be an absolute dog. Mm-hmm. And if everybody in America is watching it, that show is going to get picked up. Yeah. Then you could have the most brilliantly written show in the world. The cr- critics love it. If mm-hmm. nobody's watching, it won't get picked up. Now, where it gets, where, where Chuck... Th- those are the two extremes, though, mm-hmm. that I'm giving you. What seems to be happening more and more, which is interesting, is, and this is where critics and fans are very important. I mean, I, for one, those are the two things that I honestly care about so much. Like mm-hmm. I, I want the critics, because the reality of it is that I think for the most part, I, I said this once years mm-hmm. ago, I think a couple years ago, to Maureen Ryan, because there was a time about right when The Shield was starting, actually. So we're going about like nine years mm. where there weren't as many TV critics. There were TV critics, but there were just a handful, but they weren't as vocal. They were sort of like that. To me, TV critics had become more like the movie critics were 20 years ago, where you had these like famous movie critics that their their opinions weighed a lot. Like you would read what like Kenneth Tran on the LA Times said about a movie, and if mm. it was good, you would go watch it, where now – You've got TV critics, you know, there's people like yourself, there's some people that have become made a name for themselves, like Alan Sapinwall, Marine Ryan, and some other people where when they say a show's good, at least for someone like me, I go, hey, I'm going to go watch that. But anyway, you know, and it's very interesting. I think that the, the TV critics have become a really important element in keeping good television shows on the air. Because especially with the internet now, you guys can get out there so much, and it can actually help people watch. And in a, in a world now where audiences are shrinking and they're becoming more specialized, every viewer counts. Mm. Um, so, for instance, with Chuck, though, it, it really did make a difference for many reasons. One, the show was the critics liked the show, which made the, the NBC feel good about the show mm. because. Because that's a, that's a positive. Okay, yeah. well the critics like our show. We get, you know, it, there's, a, it, it's a, that's a good thing. We like when people like our product, when mm-hmm. the critics like our product. Then the, the element that obviously is the economic element, which is just equally important, is the fans. And I think that, you know, when you have vocal fans who, who rally around the show and, and you know are always going to show up and are literally passionate enough to write letters or send stuff into the network, um to go to say eat at Subway because Subway's promoting the show, they're loyal that way. Mm-hmm. That does mean something and that will definitely push a show that's on the bubble over the top. Yeah. If the show if the show is a complete dog and no one's watching it, it won't work. But like for instance like a show like Chuck, which was a bubble show, it absolutely the the fan support helped get that show picked up and then at the same time the writers have to do their job and make the show good, which is why the fans like it. And with the networking, excited about the next season creatively, knowing that the critics like the show and knowing that the fans like the show, they're going to choose that that show that's on the bubble over another show that's on the bubble that doesn't have those same elements.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I do think it definitely all works together, but I, it it just makes me wonder if, particularly with these bubble shows, if it uh, if it brings out more. Um, creatively out, out of out of the writers I mean if you're in a situation where you know you're going to get renewed no matter what they want to make the best show they can but if you know that your survival is based on the pitch that you're giving to the network you're going to make that pitch really good.
0: I would agree with that I, I mean I, I can I'm from somebody who's been in that now been in that position four years in a row essentially mm-hmm. five years in a row because we were so for the first three years on Chuck I was like that and for the two years I was on V I was like that I don't, I, I think without question. I mean, because when I know I have to go in, I've got, you know, 200 crew members, um, and, and I've got an entire staff of writers, an entire, act, all my actors, every assistant, everybody's relying for you on that job, mm-hmm. uh, relying for you to get a job, for you to go in. You, and you know that it's going to come down to the pitch. You, you, you do. You work harder. There's no question about it. You know what I mean? You, you just, you're motivated you there's too much on the line and you i think you i think it's a natural human thing that you work harder when your back's against the wall you know if you're going into season seven of csi i think you still (laughs) take great pride but i also think you there's a point too where you're just kind of like okay well people are watching this no matter what and and you know and and maybe not maybe they even think they're they're giving it their all but i think there's just a comfort factor you get in success it's probably even a psychological thing that you don't even an unconscious thing that you don't even realize. Maybe you're not working Mm -hmm. quite as hard, but you do it. But I think, and so you, and so I think you do. And then, you know, and then again, I think there are, and this is something that I hope that I'm, I always do. I hope that if I'm in season seven of the, that I'll work just as hard. And I think, you know, I think maybe it's coming from the fact that I've always been on shows that were underdogs and had to work that hard. Mm -hmm. And maybe hopefully that's now ingrained in me that I'll never, I'll never not expect, want just, to do the best possible job I can do. But, you know, there's no, I think it does help. I think it, it certainly, it helps in many ways. For instance, if you work, do all that heavy lifting in a practical manner, for instance, if you do all that heavy lifting before the season starts and you figure out what the season's going to be, mm. when you actually start and now you have deadlines and now you have production deadlines. Well, you've thought through a lot of it, so you're not – so episode one and episode five, six, seven, and eight, you're not just completely starting with a blank slate when you're breaking them. You've already got a notion of what they're going to be. Certainly, you should have a notion of what the character emotional arcs are. Mm -hmm. It gives you that head start so that you're – when you're breaking the episode and production starts in two weeks, you have more – of it figured out, which I think allows you to develop this individual episodes um, with more detail and with more confidence and with more time, which allows
1: for better work ultimately. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned something interesting that you didn't have a staff in at the end of season one. Um, how did that work? <laughs> well, what happened
0: was at the end of season one is I had a staff during season one, and because of all the production delays, the their contract time had run out. So. When I got to the last two episodes, I still had the last – on the last episode, um, uh, I still had two writers who, who were uh, John Worth and Natalie Shadez who, who wrote me a draft of that script. But I had to get rid of the staff after, after that point. Um, actually, I did have one other writer still for the final episode that I co-wrote at Greg Hurwitz. But mm. the, um, I had to let them go because it was just a contractual thing. So, um, and I'd always been planning on doing the last episode myself anyway um, with Greg. And so it wasn't the end of the world because I had a, a working draft to work off of. And, and then I just did some rewrites um, and they, and John delivered a really good script anyway. But, you know, usually the, 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 what would have been sort of helpful is when I was doing the season two pitch to still have the staff, um, mm-hmm. which I didn't, which was fine too. I mean, sometimes I, for me personally, anyway, I think I tend to do better it's better for me to figure out what I think the episode is going to be by myself and then present it to the room mm. and then let the room jump in. Some people, what happens is you got eight people in there and it's if I don't have a good sort of understanding of what I think I want the episode to be, I, it tends to be, the, it can get diluted and, and you can start to go in a lot of different ways. So in season one, it really didn't affect too much on the last two episodes because we sort of had figured out what they were going to be. Then going into the pitch for season two, I think it was a better thing for me anyway, because I was able to more purely figure out what I wanted it to be without all the other voices. I was Mm. still able to have Warner brothers be a sounding board for me to hear what I came up with, which was very effective. And, you know, the studio had been so intimately involved in the show because of the nature of the craziness that, you know, the two sort of high executives, Melinda Hagee and Rebecca Franco, were so involved in the show because of the craziness of it that in many ways they were like a right able to sort of be like a writing staff for me in terms of hearing it and understanding the show really well
2: mm-hmm. just
0: because, because again of the craziness. So I was okay. I was, that was okay. They, I'm sure for them it was a pain, but cause they were like, you know, we, we have other shows we have to work on. But, for me, they, they worked really well as sort of a sounding board in that in that case to get me through into season two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Look, at the end of the day, the the showrunner's job is most importantly, in my mind, this is the way I was sort of trained, um, mm-hmm. is you're a writer first. I mean, yeah. you're an executive and you have all these producing things and you're sort of the CEO of the company, but the most important thing is the writing. Mm-hmm. And you have to, the best showrunners, in my mind, are in the writer's room from 10 o'clock to seven o'clock breaking the stories with the writers. And Mm -hmm. then the time outside of that is what's used for editing, for phone calls, for marketing, for, you know, dealing with actor issues, dealing with all the business elements of it. But you got to make sure you're in that writer's room because the voice of the show, the 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 reason a show is good is because of the writing usually first and foremost, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. There's, there's no script. The actors have not no words to read. Um, you know, and, and, and your job is get the best material out there, get your actors the best scripts possible, get your crew the best scripts co- possible, and then everything else sort of takes care of itself after that. At least that's what I found. Mm-hmm. Once, once the, if the writing's not good, you're dead. Yeah. You're just gone. You know what I mean? That's sort of the philosophy that, I, that I've that i sort of gone about it, that I've, I've tried to, to use. And it's hard, though, because when you're a showrunner, you're pulled out of the – every two seconds, there's a phone call – from an executive, from mm-hmm. a set, from marketing, from promotions, from the editing—you know, everyone's got a million questions, and you have to answer all of them before people can move forward. Wow. So it gets very difficult to lock yourself in that room. But you know, but the room is where you know mm-hmm. the room is where everything starts, and and you got and you got to be there.
1: Yeah. Well, tell tell me about um, the process of hiring. Uh, you you said a new staff, so. It, there were, I'm guessing, some names still there, but uh, you hired a bunch of new writers for season two.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, the two the the two writers from season one that um, sort of became, you know, as I, I was to say too, is any good show as you need a great showrunner, but you got to have great writers mm-hmm. um, because especially if you're doing 22 episodes you know, there's no way, you know, unless you're David Kelly or Aaron Sorkin, um, <laughs> and maybe there's a couple others that I can't think of uh-huh. who are just above and beyond. They're not mortals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're, they're like immortals. You know, they're, they're, you need a writing staff and you need a really good writing staff and, mm-hmm. and you need to have writers delivering these scripts that are really great so that hopefully all you're doing is spending, you know, Five hours doing a rewrite and a pass and cleaning it up. But mm. well, you don't. If you start getting into a situation where you're getting scripts that need page one rewrites, the show shuts down. You know what's so essential is finding those those writers that you can count on to to deliver. You know the show that you want. And and what you always what what I like to do is I always hope to try to find writers that are better than me. <laughs> you know, um, if, if that's and there are a lot of them out there, uh, mm. but you know it's finding them are, are are hard. But anyway, you know. So what happened after the first season was. First of all, I inherited a staff that was just burned out beyond belief because of the craziness before I even started. But I was able to keep a couple of writers who were sort of my go-to writers. One is Greg Hurwitz, um, who you guys will probably see his name on a lot of scripts. And, and he, he was a guy that um, – he just he's a novelist and just a great mm-hmm. writer and a, a great story breaker. He's one of my go-to guys. And then also um, someone whose name you don't see on a lot of the episodes, oddly enough, because – He's he's a guy that I have in the room a lot, and mm-hmm. sometimes I, I needed him to. And he's done a lot of writing, but uncredited is Cameron Litvak. Oh yeah. And he was he's my other sort of go to guy, um, great writer, great story breaker. I sh, he, I'm going to put he's going to next season. Hopefully there'll be a third season. I want him to write some more because he he has written a lot. He he's a guy who sometimes I would count on a lot to say, this scripts in really you know not in great shape. Can you do a quick pass and get it to me so that then I can fi- you know finish it off and. He was very good at sort of getting the scripts where they needed to be so that I could go in, you know, spend a day on it and, and, and you know, finish it off. Um, mm-hmm. those, so those two guys I was able to I was able to bring back. And then at that point, there was um, a couple people moved off, for instance, John Worth, who is a, is a great writer. He got an opportunity to work on The Cape as a showrunner. Oh, OK. And um, and I didn't want to hold him. You know, he, he's a, a gr- amazing writer and a great mm-hmm. showrunner. And he, he was, you know, he's one of the big reasons too, that I even made it to a season, season two was having him there. Um, But he got this opportunity to, to co-run this, well run, I don't know exactly what it was, but there was a, the creator of the Cape, I don't think has ever run a show before. And they wanted John to run it with him, teach Mm -hmm. him how to run a show and run it. And John, I, John left to do that. So I sort of lost my, you know, my number one guy in that sense. So I had to sort of start looking for upper level people to replace him. And, um, and, and that's what I did. I sort of focused on some upper level people that had a lot of experience who could hopefully learn a new show quick. And so, you know, the, the difficulty of having a new staff in season two is no matter how talented the writers are, they still have to learn the show and learn Mm -hmm. your style and learn your voice and how you break episodes. So there's a, so there's a learning curve. And, um, so it's always bumpy those first couple episodes until they sort of get it, um, but once they get it, which they usually do by then after they've written their first episode, um, things run a little bit smoothly. So, But we, we had a nice staff and a good staff. And you know, and I had the experience of having uh, Greg and Cameron from this previous season, which really mm-hmm. helped a lot.
1: And so who are the new writers? Uh, well, there's a bunch
0: of them. There was a guy named David Rambo. Who um, There was a guy named Hans Tabieson. T- mm-hmm. I had um, Gwen Harker came in. She was good. There was a, uh, a young writer named... Dean Wideman, who wrote a really great script, probably my favorite script of the episode of the season, uh, is 206 mm-hmm. that he wrote. Um, we had um, Cat Humphreys, was a writer who had worked on Mad Men uh, the year before, so that was. And then we had a couple younger uh, staff writers from like the Warner Brothers workshop. But it was a. Um, we also had Rockne O'Bannon who came in. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah who I think a lot of uh, sci-fi fans know. And Rodney's and yeah. a, a total pro and a, and, a, and a great writer. So I had a lot of really good people come in, which is really, really nice and really helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, so what, as a showrunner, what are you looking for when you hire a new writer?
0: I guess the first thing I'm looking for is just a really kind of unique original voice. I like being able to read things that I feel like I myself couldn't have written. And usually mm-hmm. that comes from a place of... Just a unique voice, a different voice. I mean, you know, you see it in, um, you know, in the most obvious example of probably a unique voice is just to throw one out is Larry David. Like mm-hmm. when you read Larry David or you watch Seinfeld or you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, you're like, okay, this guy, you know, it's almost like a Woody Allen. It's like it's so distinct <laughs> and unique. You know yeah. that, you know, they have their own. And and I look for I look for for that unique, different style and that different voice um, on the page. And the other thing you look for in a, on the page too is obviously it's just the basics of smart storytelling, good dialogue, good twists and turns. But, you know, usually it's the voice that will pop out for me because if I find someone who has a good voice, you can usually teach them to do your show, mm. but you can't teach them how to have a voice.
2: Yeah.
0: That's, you know, and then when, and then when I meet with someone, which is the other really um, important m- moment, because you, you never hire someone without meeting them. So you, yeah. what happens is you read the scripts so and you find the scripts that you like, then you say, okay, I like these four writers, and you meet those four writers, and then you have to pick, you know, you can't, unfortunately, you can't hire all of them. It gets down to the interview. Um, And the thing I would say that I look for most in the interview is two things. One is an energy and a willingness to want to work really, really hard. I know myself, I was never the, in anything in my life, I was never naturally the best at anything. And the one Mm -hmm. thing, you know, my father always used to tell me was, Look, you're never going to be the best at anything. At anything naturally, it's just not. You're, you know,
2: assume that he will not Sorry, sorry. He didn't.
0: He didn't mean that in a bad way. Actually, he <laughs> meant in a good way. And so I'm sort of saying, you uh-huh. know, he said, he always said there'll always be someone who's better than you at something, no matter what you do. You know what I mean? You're, there mm-hmm. just always is, and that's something that's just part of life. But the one thing you can control is how hard you work. Mm-hmm. And you can control. And if you work harder than anyone else, I promise you, you will be successful. You know, and he and that was sort of some advice he gave me. And I've always taken that um, very seriously, and I've done that way. And I've always prided myself in being the hardest worker. And one of the things I look for in in writers is is that same sort of sense of they're going to work really, really, really hard. Because mm-hmm. I I know also too that if they do work that hard, they'll be successful too, which means they'll succeed and it'll and it'll be a, a good hire. And so that's one thing I sort of always, you know, look for is that sense that they're going to work super, super hard. And the other thing I, I like in a, um, you know, when I'm going to hire someone is and not everybody does this, not all writers do this, which I find very surprising. Mm -hmm. But when I, like for instance, when I go up for a job in Hollywood for a TV show, I always come in with five, at least five ideas that I think could be great episodes. And the idea for there is that what it, to me, what it shows is, a you're thinking about that show and b even if the ideas are off and they don't work i know that person is is at least thinking about the show and and, and comprehending the show and and taking what they they read in the pilot episode or they read in the individual episodes and trying and starting to apply it practically to the show itself and and again, it's not always that they come in, and I may not use it i they may not use a single idea that they came up with because again, they're not pitching whole episodes or you know not have time to pitch the whole episode, but you can one you know two sentence something and, oh, this could be a cool episode, this could be a cool episode." And I really like that because that sh- shows me a that they're very proactive two, they're thinking about the show, and it gives me a quick sort of sense of of how their brain works when it comes to to storytelling mm-hmm. and um there not a lot of writers do that, but I can tell you this. The ones I hire almost always did that. I don't think I ever hired anyone. Um, the only time you don't, you can't really have someone to do that is if they're, and they should do it anyway, I think, um, is if they're, you know, sh- you know, such a high-level writer. Mm-hmm. Some writers just come in and say, "Well, my my resume speaks for itself. I don't need to pitch any ideas." Mm-hmm. But I like them pitching ideas because it helps me get an, a sense of their passion for the show. And if they kind of get the show mm-hmm. it's in, in its pure form, you, yeah. you know, certain people are great writers and they're going to be able to deliver. But do they have the right sensibility for the show? Are they passionate about the show? Those are things that. I like to sort of see in an interview and feel in an interview, um, and uh, and so that you know, that's sort of the, I guess the, my version or
1: what I look for in hiring. Yeah, well, it's interesting you would say that. I I, uh, I remember seeing an interview with Stephen J. Cannell, and and he said, in terms of how he got so many shows off the ground, even from you know pitching the shows in the first place, was that exact thing: working harder than everybody else, and in particular, walking in with 10, 13, different plots th- so that he could give a vision to the people he was pitching to. Um, mm-hmm. So I think preparation is something definitely that people can uh, learn from.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I, I think it's, I think, in, you know, there's an old saying, um, I forget who, who, who the quote's from, but it's somebody said, um, In I'm a firm believer in luck and I've found that the harder I work, the more I have of
1: it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, I think that's true. You know, I do. Yeah. So um, a little bit more uh, nitty-gritty in terms of when when writers are submitting work to you. Do you like to read specs or pilots or features, one-act plays? Like what what's your favorite stuff to read?
0: I like to read an original mostly. So if it's a pilot, a spec pilot, a spec feature, a play, those would be my first thing that I would want to read. But I think it's – and I, and I think that would be if I was – like giving advice to a writer trying to break in, I would say the first thing you should do is write an, you know, write an original so that you can tr- truly see your voice. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is either do a second original or do, you know, pick a show, you know, the it's funny. Cause I haven't been, um, I don't know what pe- now, like for me as a writer, when I'm up for jobs, what people read of mine are my pilots that I've mm-hmm. written. So I'm not sure what, quote-unquote specs people are reading these this day and age i mean the last time you know the last time i was uh not at the level i was and i I didn't have pilots i remember there were like sopranos were big and the shield was big and well maybe we're still writing uh a CSI's and stuff like that i don't know what the new sort of specs are but pretty much um any agent can sort of tell you that they'll Mm -hmm. say hey the the specs you know chuck's a spec or madman is a good spec or dexter's a good spec and so I think it's good to have your original piece, which does a couple of things. One is it shows your, your original voice, which is usually important. And then two, one piece that's based, you know, what they call specs based on shows where you pick a show that's pretty fairly popular so that the reader gets it and, you know, have some sense of what the show is supposed to be.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: you write it and you and then the key there is writing it so that it feels like it's an episode of, say, Dexter but at the same time, your voice, which is unique, shines through. Mm-hmm. I think at, no matter what you want to, even when you're writing a version of another show like a Dexter or a Sopranos or whatever that new spec would be, a Fringe, whatever it is, you still need to make sure that it your voice pops through and because that's what will differentiate it from uh, uh, any, all, the, all the other ones. So if that means if you're Southern or whatever and you have a Southern point of view in the world – and you're doing, say, let's just say, I'm just making, I'm just randomly picking something up, a Law and Order. Well, then write it so that it's a Law and Order because it takes place in New York, but all the characters are maybe visitors from Georgia, <laughs> so that you know your yeah. your point of view from the South is is in that show. So it still feels like you're still writing, say, the main characters um, the way they're supposed to be written, but your guest characters can be something unique and different, and um, and 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 the reader can learn something about uh, that they didn't already know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Um, well, I know we're getting long on the time here, and, and we do have some fan questions. And uh, okay. I know people would kill me if we didn't talk about Season 2 a little bit. I know you can't give a lot of spoilers, but uh, um, I know for, for me, one of the most exciting things, even coming in without seeing the the new episodes, was Jane Badler. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, first of all, did, which came first, Jane Badler or um or the character that she's playing um well the character came first diana i um
0: i at the end of the season came up with the idea when i was figuring out what season 2 was going to be i don't know why i just thought it just i was like what is anna's mother like you know i kept thinking about that mm-hmm. <clears throat> and 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 i was like what if and then it just it sort of you know i started to think you know, I wanted to give Anna as many obstacles towards her success as possible. And, um, and, and, I started thinking about, you know, well, you know, who, who on the ship could become an obstacle. And then it sort of got in my head that there was this whole, you know, I was like, what if she, you know, it, it really just sort of became a, a, the mother theme. <laughs> as I was thinking about the mother theme, I said, well, naturally there's this, mo- this run- mother theme running through the entire show maybe, you know, why don't I, why don't I say that instead of Anna's mother being dead, maybe Anna's mother's alive. And it, and I just sort of sat and thought about it. It all sort of started to, it, you know, come together and and make sense. And so I came up with this whole season arc for her, this, her mother character who she had had locked, um, locked in the ship for reasons, which you'll learn as you watch the season. And when I pitched it to Warner Brothers, and ABC, they totally loved it. And then it became a sense of, all right, well, who are we going to cast for the role? I, I just felt like, all right, well, Best act, Actress wins. Um, randomly, I was at the office, and I got a phone call. My assistant said, um, "said hey, I got a phone call from, I forget who it was, I guess it was her manager or something, saying that Jane Badler was in L.A. for something, and she just wanted to stop by and just say hi.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I said, sure, have her come by and say hi. So she came in and she sort of popped in and she was like, yeah, I just, you know, I just was here and in business or whatever. And I just wanted to drop in and say hi. And just, you know, I worked on the show my whole life, you know, for so long. And I was just curious about it. And She's a really nice woman. And, um, she had no idea there was a character, by the way, like she had oh. no idea. She literally like, I didn't let anyone know about this. <clears throat> and we were just talking. And as we were sort of talking, And I think she was, like, telling me about, like, her, like, family back in Australia and her kids. I started to, like, zone out a little bit because I was just, like, listening to her talk Uh and started thinking to myself, hmm, you know, (laughs) what if, you know, maybe she could be Diana. And so she was sort of just talking to me about her family and her husband and her kid who's in, about to go to college, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there and I'm just like listening to her and, this, and my weird writer's dream off craziness, which I'm sure drives all my friends and family crazy, because <laughs> I'm only half there. And I'm just imagining her, she's talking, just like sort of filtering her dialogue, her voice sort of, and looking at her and starting to think maybe it could be Diana. And, and so then she left and she's like, you know, I'd love to be on the show if there's ever a role for me. And I go, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm not sure, whatever. I'm, um, I am would love, you know, think about it. And then she left and in the back of my head I was like, wow, like she could totally be Diana. Like mm-hmm. I actually kind of like like, started to filter it. I'd already written pages and everything like that for who she was, but it sort of just made, matched and I really liked it. So when she left, I said, I call, I called casting and said, Hey, um, you know what? Um, we uh, let's let Jane read for it. Cause I think she can actually do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then what happened was she, like the rest of everyone else, she, 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 she read for it. She taped herself, sent her tape in. Cause she went back to Australia mm-hmm. and I saw a bunch of auditions. I watched all the more people who were taped and I thought that she was the best. Yeah. And, and that's how she got cast. And, and you know, and it was, uh, was sort of like a fortuitous thing that she just happened to be in town that day because I I think that if I I probably would have um, reached out to her maybe because of who she was and she was on the show, but it wasn't in my mind to cast her at all because I initially was not into sort of stunt casting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was only after seeing her in person and talking to her and seeing how smart she was and how intelligent she was and how kind. I mean, I really liked her. Like I could be friends with her. Like she came in and she was like this person. She wasn't this like actress that would intimidate you. She was just like mm-hmm. a normal person. I was like, oh, she's so cool. Like I really liked her. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I want to hire her because she's yeah. just cool and nice and sweet. And that's how and 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 that's how it went down.
1: Yeah. Wow. That that's so exciting. Um, I got to credit Jeff K T V on my terms for that question. And uh, moving on, uh, we do have a number of other um, questions about the original. Cast members from the old series a skip a Cabra, asks any chance if Robert England will turn up.
0: You know what? I have not. If we get a season three, which I hope we do, mm-hmm. I would definitely consider that. Um, I haven't. Um, what I did, what I do at the end of this of this season mm-hmm. is I really open up the world big when mark singer's character gets introduced mm-hmm. it opens up this whole sort of like essentially you find out that there's at the end of the season well i don't want to give it away but the point is that the world opens up even more in terms of the possibilities of more of more of these types of characters and, mm-hmm. and i would definitely you know consider using him i mean diane you know jane worked out really well obviously they're not they don't they're not playing the characters they played in the original yeah but for instance like jane's i thought in my opinion jane's performance was amazing and and she was so good as di as diana mm-hmm. and um you know and, and and if and hopefully and mark even in his you know the the couple days that he shot he he was really good and and i really enjoyed him
1: oh he was so iconic in the original one
0: <laughs> yeah and so you know i i definitely would consider uh robert england no question about mm-hmm. it i don't know what he's doing but you know maybe in you know, next year if i start uh, writing the new episodes, will probably reach out to him as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the original had such a such a great cast. Frank Ashmore and Michael Ironside. Uh, Elodie, was asking yeah, about. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. Um, and Elodie asks, how will the Lisa and Joshua relationship evolve in season two? Will Joshua have his memories back in the future?
0: Yeah. Well, jo- Joshua's um, memories are sort of like a ticking clock, which is mm-hmm. he he they are going to come back. And sort of the big question for the season is what will come, which, what will happen first? Will he remember he himself was fifth column or will he remember he was fifth column but not want to be fifth column? Meaning mm-hmm. the memories will come back and either he's going to remember and he'll become an ally or he'll remember and he'll become, um, an antagonist. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the ticking clock. But his memories will come back. Um, but you have to watch to see which version comes out.
1: <laughs>
2: cool. Finish.
0: Um,
1: so I, I, don't think we have time for too many more fan questions. uh right, well, let, let me just throw a couple out. Uh, will John May be back?
0: Uh, John May will not be back in season two, mm-hmm. but he may be back in, 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 in season three.
1: Okay. And, uh, let me just scan through. Yeah. I think that's about all we can cover. Um, and I appreciate us going a little bit long here uh, and you being so gen- generous with your time. Um, where can people watch V? This is coming out Monday, January 3rd, and that's very close to another day.
0: Right. Yeah, so the, the first episode of, of, of Season 2 is, will be on January 4th at 9 p.m. on ABC, and will be coming on after No Ordinary Family with my buddy Michael Chickless and my friend Ali Adler is a writer on the show
2: yeah
1: very very cool and and now is it gonna be a pretty continuous run of, of 22 episodes
0: uh no it's not 22 episodes it's just we only did ten this year
1: oh we only did ten this year oh yeah wow. I I thought so, I thought you had mentioned 22
0: no I was saying that you know I think I mentioned 22 in the sense of if you're gonna do I forget how what I used the context in but no uh, season two is it, we're just we just did ten and they mm-hmm. will run continuously starting on january fourth
1: okay and uh and you've you've thrown out the uh the the words season three a few times um i I know it's very very early to prognosticate but um what's what's your feeling like about season three?
0: My feeling is that I really want to do it because I have so many more stories to tell um you know, I had I had sort of broken out in almost uh, you know tw- a twenty-two episode arc for for season two. We only did ten. I want to do more. Um, I think there's amazing stories left to be told. Um, I, I'm you know uh, cautiously optimistic, and you know I think the bottom line though is I need all of our fans to go out and watch it because those Nielsen guys sort of determine our fate. So mm-hmm. if you, so you know, for all of you V fans out there, and you've all been wonderful, you know. Please watch January 4th and uh, and spread the word. Hopefully you'll you know you'll enjoy the new the new season and you know people talking about the show gets more people watching the show and and that's uh, that's what we need.
1: Mm-hmm. I've seen the first few episodes and they are going on all cylinders. I mean it's it's really really strong and I, and I hope that uh, you guys get a lot of new viewers and and returning viewers. Um, they, you're missing out if you don't see it. Great, thank you. Wonderful. Well, I know that you're with your family out east right now, and I, and I want to help you get back to them. So we'll, we'll wrap things up here. But thank you so much for uh, being with us again. And just best of luck to you. I, I really, really hope this season goes well in the ratings and that you can get a season three. I, I love these stories.
0: Oh, great. yeah. Well, thank you. and It's always a pleasure uh, talking to you and, and doing these podcasts. I, I look forward to them. And uh, again, thanks for your support. And you guys, uh, everyone have a happy and a healthy New Year.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Scott. You got it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. And I so much appreciate Scott Rosenbaum taking his time. He's just a great guy in person, and he was taking a very deserved break with his family and still took uh, quite a bit of his time to be with us. So so I appreciate his generosity, and I can't wait to see Season 2 of V and how it plays out Tuesdays on ABC Check your local listings. Um, I really, really think you would do well to catch up on season one if you haven't already and watch season two of this show. It's a great show. And watch for us next week when we start our Women TV writer series. On Monday, go to ScriptMag.com or TVWriterPodcast.com to get the details. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software,
2: the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide.